Good morning, everyone. To you here in the worship center, also those of you watching in Nickel Hall, we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of James. If you want to take your Bible and go there into chapter one, you can join me there. Have you ever felt that you lacked wisdom? Um, a friend comes to you, confides in you about a complex situation in their family that has to do with sexual identity and mixed in with that there's depression and maybe even suicide and the question is you know what does the bible have to say about this and and you're not sure you feel totally inadequate to answer and you're wondering if the question really is personal to that person and the foil has been the extended family and so in that moment you feel like oh, i just lack wisdom or you got angry and you felt it was time to let your feelings go, and so you let the outburst just happen, and now it's costing you, and uh, it's costing you in personal relationship capital. In that moment, you lacked wisdom. You made a decision, a, a purchase, and it was rather hasty as you look back on it now. Even in the moment, you had felt, oh, I'm not sure, but... You went ahead with it, you hadn't done any research, and now you're stuck with some uh, legal trappings that you can't get out of, and it's going to cost you. You lacked wisdom. There was a time you were, you were crazy, and you were at this event, and you posted some of the pictures from it, and you're not proud of it now, but the digital imprint is still there, and it's made it difficult even for you to land the job that you want. You lacked wisdom. We don't hear that word wisdom a lot. It's not a, a, a typical word that we speak about. And perhaps maybe because we're much more interested in notoriety, even if you do something foolish, you know, to be known, wisdom has been pushed to the shadows. But when it comes to living a life well, you need to make good decisions. And in order to make good decisions, you need wisdom. Wisdom is significant. So we should not be surprised that Scripture talks about the precious commodity that wisdom is. And this morning we're going to look at that subject and how we get it. And I think it's just so appropriate when we see what James has to say to start this morning with prayer. And so would you join me as we ask God to give us understanding and wisdom even in this time of looking at his word. Lord, we want to come before you with open and humble hearts. And Lord, even as you teach us this morning, we're asking you, God, would you show us new things, clarify things, give us understanding, Lord, give us wisdom that we might live our lives well for your namesake. I pray this in Jesus' name name. Amen. We said the book of James is sometimes referred to as the New Testament book of Proverbs. Again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is divided into two parts. There's the new part, New Testament, which comes Jesus' life and after. But before that, it's called the Old Testament. And in there, there's this book called Proverbs, and it's filled with nuggets of wisdom about what life is about and how to live your life well. And so when we look at Proverbs, it has some things to say about wisdom itself. We look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul. Like it's going to be so life giving for you. It's like an adornment for your neck. 
We read in uh, the same chapter in verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. I think most of us in this room would understand that if we had just a little bit more money, that would be today's silver and gold, like that would change our life and it would have an impact on us. We would then be able to perhaps make some better choices or have more opportunities for things, reduce stress in our life, like more money. We, 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 I don't think any of us would turn away if somebody says, oh, hey, I want to give you $100,000. Oh, we'd, we'd welcome that because we'd say, hey, that could have such a good impact on my life. But Proverbs repeatedly talks about how wisdom... If you had to choose between the two, silver and gold, money or wisdom, wisdom is the thing that you want to get. It's superior. Wisdom. A while back in the journey with my family, I was um, working for a company. I had been in pastoral ministry for a number of years and then uh, was out of that working for, for a company, which is a, just a different kind of ministry, right? Like wherever we are, whether we work in a church, whether we have a job, it's all ministry for God and unto God. But here I am, I'm working for a financial uh, planning company, which was my background. And uh, one of my roles at this particular time was to um, research financial planning software for the company which would be used to help people make individual financial plans. And as I was working on that, I used my own family's finances as a test case. So I would plug in our numbers, ages, you know, what we had when it came to assets and, you know, how much were we saving at the current time and, you know, plug the numbers uh, forward and how would we be? And uh, to my surprise, like, we weren't wealthy, but it looked like, you know what, like, this is better than I thought, like we would, we would be okay. At the same time as that was going on, God was beginning to stir in my heart uh, to go back and further my education in biblical studies. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to pay the cost when it came to time, energy, what impact would this have on my family? My kids were adolescents at the time. What impact would it have on it? And as I was having my uh, daily devotions, my practice of reading God's word daily, uh, I was reading in the book of Proverbs, and I happened to be reading in the New International Version that day, and it said to me, there it said, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And I knew what God was saying to me. God, I don't want to go. There's a cost of energy, time. My family's going to be affected. Get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. Though it costs you. God, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money. Of, like the money I'm not going to be making, the cost of doing these studies. This is going to cost a lot of money. Though it costs you all you have get understanding and it was like okay God I'm busted I'm going and uh, it was it was a great great journey that deepened my faith deepened my relationship with God and you see here in Proverbs how it, it links understanding with wisdom the two are so often connected in scripture understanding is the right knowledge of something wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and apply it to your life so that you actually live it out. 
So godly wisdom is getting God's perspective, God's understanding, God's truth. Wisdom, then, is how to rightly apply that truth to your life. And we see that God's wisdom and his understanding is, is so instrumental, even in the things that God has created. So we look at other Proverbs, and it talks about God's creation, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Uh, To me, it's been amazing as you study science and faith how it truly is a myth that science is opposed to faith. But as you study science, it, it, it continually points to the fact that there is a designer, there's a creator who by incredible understanding and by incredible wisdom has fashioned and shaped this world that has predictability, it has patterns, it leads us to God. And so we find in in human history that so many of the great scientists have actually been those who believe in God. You think of Pascal who gave us the the calculator, Isaac Newton and gravity. You think of Galileo who, who atheists like to use as a weapon against Christianity but was in fact a Christian. Kepler and and Boyle, if you're in science, you'll know some of these names. There was a book written in 2005 on uh, all the Nobel Prize winners in the 20th century, so all throughout the 1900s, from the beginning to the end, and what they discovered was that around 65%, 65% of all Nobel Prize winners ascribed to to some uh, part of the stream of Christianity. Over 70% uh, won the awards in chemistry, 62% in medicine, 65% in physics. Because as we look at our world and we, we dive into it, it affirms our faith in a God who has understanding and through his wisdom created this world that we see. We look in Proverbs chapter 8 where it personifies wisdom. It talks about how wisdom, uh, it gives it like the characteristics of a person. It says, when he established the heavens, speaking of God, I, wisdom, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men." Wisdom, understanding, and by it, God created the world. It's superior to all that we could grasp for, all that we could seek for. God's incredible wisdom. So we see in in the things that are made, if you pay attention and you dive deeply, we see how that reveals God. In Romans 1, it talks about how it reveals the very character, nature of the Godhead. But we see in Jesus an even fuller revelation of who God is and what he is like. And we're told in Colossians chapter 2, we're told that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, all of God's wisdom dwelt in bodily form. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, co-creator with the Father, the Holy Spirit, created this world 
out of his love, took on human flesh, became a human being, stepped into our world, though he created the world, stepped into our world as a helpless human baby. And then scripture talks about Jesus' relationship to wisdom as a human being. And it says that as a child, he continually grew in wisdom. So that when Jesus begins his ministry, when he's about 30 years of age, uh, people are going, whoa, who is this guy? Where did he get this wisdom from? I mean, it's like he's from Yarrow, if you know what I mean. He's from an obscure place called Nazareth. Like nobody of, of pronoun comes from a place like this. And I can say that about Yarrow. I used to live there. But where did this guy come from? And they marveled at his wisdom as he spoke to the people. And it wasn't just what he taught. You see, wisdom attaches itself. It has character. It has a character to it. it, it it's embodied with, with characteristics. It was the whole package. And people marveled. Jesus, as a human being, grew in wisdom. And in him dwelt the fullness of God's wisdom bodily, a revelation of God and what he is like. So we see that if Jesus should grow in wisdom, shouldn't I, shouldn't I desire to grow in wisdom? And this we see is the picture of, of God's intention for us, God's plan for us, that in relationship with Jesus, who is all wisdom, we would continually grow and develop in our understanding of God, in our understanding of the world, in our understanding of who we are. And we would grow in our wisdom, our application of those truths, of God's truths to our life. And it would be this ongoing process. And as we grow and develop, we begin to teach other people who, who maybe are just beginning in the journey or more, less mature than we are. This is, the, this is the plan of God to multiply his, his kingdom within us. And so we read in Hebrews a group of people that, in fact, aren't doing that. And they, and they, have, to be, they have to be spoken to Hebrews, he writes, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. He's talking to the believers now. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. You're still like babies, but you should have grown up. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. That's a wisdom term, discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so today as I look around, we have young, uh, young adults who are saying, I would love a mentor. I would love for somebody to to pour into my life and teach me what, they, what they've learned in their long pathway with God. And, and I see some of our older people picking up that opportunity and speaking into people's lives and the incredible impact that, ha that has on their growth and their maturity. This is part of God's plan, part of the development, not just of us as individuals, but as us together as a family of God that we might grow in wisdom. 
Now, as we dive back into James chapter 1, if you'll recall in the first couple of verses from verse 2 to 4, God's plan as part of maturing us was also that we would experience difficult times, we would experience trials, but that God is going to use those things to build a most valuable quality in our life called steadfastness. And it takes steadfastness, it takes continuing with God in order to produce more steadfastness. And so there's, we said there's just no way out of this. Difficult times are necessary for us and that we, we go through those difficult times without our faith wavering in God, trusting Him, knowing that He's going to work these things out for our good, for our maturity in fact, that we might be Perfect, he says, and complete. That's, that's a, a picture of ultimate uh, maturity, that God has us on that line to take us there. And then he says at the end of verse 4, lacking nothing. And then James takes this, this word, lacking, and he does a bit of a twist with it in verse 5. But if any of you, any of you does lack, here's what you need to do. See, this is a scenario that James is painting. All of us should be on this trajectory of growing in our faith, of maturing. James would find it inconceivable that you would just say yes to Jesus, make a verbal commitment, and you stay there and not grow in your faith. So James is presuming we're, we're growing in our faith to this point where one day it's almost like we're gonna lack nothing. But he says right now the reality is we will lack I lack sometimes, don't you? You're in a situation and, and, and you, you haven't encountered this before and you don't know what to do. And, and it's stressful and it's important, it's significant, the decision that you're making. And, and what should I do and how, how do I respond to, to that? Because I'm not there yet. I'm still lacking. I don't have all that I need when it comes to understanding God's ways and his truth and then applying it to my life. I'm lacking wisdom in this moment right now, and it matters. I can't ignore it. If I ignore it, it still has results and consequences. I have to respond. How do I do that when I don't know what to do? And James has a solution. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, there's something that you can do about it. And it has to do with God. See, I think for me personally, because um, I like to get things done, when I, when I encounter a situation, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to try and figure it out myself through my own efforts or through my own research. Like there's, I don't know if you've heard of it, there's a search engine called Google and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you can just go on there and you can, you can do all kinds of research and get all kinds of opinions and, you know, all kinds of, of, uh, of advice. James says, you know what, um, there's a better place to go. Ask God. We are bombarded with information today. And it's so easy to go to those places. James Emery White, who wrote a book called Meet Generation Z, or Z, depending if you're Canadian or American. Meet Generation Z. And those are like age 24 down to age 4. And he talks about how the fact that they are, they are embarded, bombarded with so much information, but there's so much lack of wisdom today. What we need is wisdom. We don't need more information. We need wisdom. And in his discussion about this, he talks about 
he actually recommends in his book, and this was after we had decided to do this series in James. In his book, he says, churches should go through the book of James because it's a book of wisdom. And so here we are. And James' advice to us, not James Emery White, but James, the, the, the writer of this letter, in the book that we have before us in the Bible, his advice to us is ask God. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't be that, that be the very first place that we go to? Why would we not ask the one who created this world with his understanding and his wisdom in all its intricacies holds this world together? Why would we not go and ask God? And, and in, the, in the way that the word ask is written, it's like ask and keep on asking. Ask God. That is where you can go. And I think we should especially be encouraged by that as we, as we read what James says next. Let him ask God who gives generously to all. God gives generously to all. To all, that word generously can also be translated liberally, abundantly. God gives generously and liberally to all. Now remember, James is writing to believers who are scattered, and he can make this carte blanche statement because he knows it to be true that all believers, whether they're new in the Lord, whether they're mature in the Lord, no matter where they're at, God gives generously wisdom to all. The opposite of that would be stingy. And sometimes I think that's our view of God, that God is, is a stingy God, like, okay, and that we, we have to earn it somehow. There's a verse in Proverbs where it talks about a stingy man. It says, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. So I have been that man, I, I confess, you know, as a financial planner, knowing the cost of everything and whatnot, and you have people over and you're going, ah, they're eating my cheese. Don't they know how expensive cheese is? Oh, they're eating, they want more. They want more cheese. Oh, I gotta give the good stuff now. No, so God is not like that. And as God worked in my own life over the years about stinginess and always counting the cost and... Um, I've discovered the joy of generosity and liberality, um, that it's such a better way to think. There's a joy in that. You know why? Because it reflects the character and the nature of our God. Our God is a generous, liberal, overly abundant, extravagant God towards us. He is that towards you. You need to believe that this morning. It has such an impact on your walk in the Christian faith. That God wants to and will be absolutely liberal, abundant, overflowing, extravagant to you. And especially as we're talking about in the context of this morning, with wisdom. He wants to give this to you. Can you believe that this morning? See, as we look at the biblical story and we go all the way back again to the very first chapter, so much revolved around what do you think about God? And so the very first couple, as they are tempted to doubt God, it's all about his goodness. 
that God has commanded them not to eat of one tree in the garden. And the temptation is to be suspicious about God's goodness. He's withholding something from you. Don't you see it? You can be more than God says you can be. And so that temptation continues all the time today. Is God really good for it? Will he really be good for it? Is he really generous or isn't he a stingy God? We need to settle it in our minds and continually take ourselves to the place where we believe in the generosity of God. And for me personally, and why I take you there as a congregation on more than one occasion, is in Romans chapter 8, it's almost like Paul can anticipate this question in verse 38, 31. Sorry. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, are you settled in that? God is for you, who can be against you? And here, here's, the, here's the clincher. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When, when you're in that place where you're beginning to doubt God, when you're beginning to doubt his goodness, you need to take your soul, you need to take your mind, take your thinking, and drag it to the cross and look at once again what the Father did on your behalf by giving you, giving us his son to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven and rising from the dead so that we could be victorious over sin, Satan, and death. If ever you have a doubt, you go there. If he gave us his son, will he not freely with him give you all things? When it comes to wisdom and I'm lacking and I don't know what to do, James says, go to God. The God who gave his son to die for you. He gives generously to all. That means he gives generously to you. And I love what he says next. He gives generously to all without reproach. That word is scolding. So God is not the type of God, you know, you've got yourself in a pickle and it's partly because of your own doing. Now you're stuck. You're not sure what to do. You can't think your way out of it. You don't have the resources to dig your way out of it. And so you think, well, I can't go to God because I'm here partly because of my own making. James says you need to know this. God is not going to shake his finger at you and scold you for the situation you've got yourselves into. He gives wisdom generously without reproach. You're not going to get a lecture. You're going to get wisdom. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You're not going to get a lecture. You're going to get wisdom. Here's the truth. God grants wisdom not based on your performance. God grants wisdom based on his goodness, not on your performance. God grants wisdom based on his goodness, not on your performance. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now James has just one caveat to this. He says, but when he asks, let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he that doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. You know what a wave is like? Like a wave is completely out of control. It's completely subject to the action of the wind. James is saying, when you doubt, and that, that word doubt has to do from, with discernment and judgment. And discernment and judgment can be a great thing when, you, when you're 
when you are thinking about, hey, should I put myself in this relationship? Uh, for example, you're looking for a job. I'm going to work for a company. Should I put myself, should I work for this company? Do I discern it's a good company? I'll be treated well, that they'll appreciate the gifts and the skills that I have to offer. And so you, 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 you weigh back and forth as to whether that would be the right place for you. But we don't do that with God, James says. There should be no doubting as to the the quality of God's character, the absoluteness of his goodness, the enormity of his generosity. When, when it comes to God, there should be no discernment needed whatsoever, just a belief. I believe. And so I ask in complete faith. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask God who gives liberally, generously to all, without reproach, no scolding, and it will be given to him. There's a great story in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, God's people, led by Jehoshaphat the king at that time, are being threatened by nations outside of Israel, nations that Israel did never attack, and yet now they're, they're this nation, these nations are gathering together to, to come against Israel, and they're, they're huge. They're way outnumbered, the nation of Israel. And we read in 2 Chronicles 20 where uh, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they did exactly what James told them to do. Seek the Lord. Ask him. It's interesting, their comment later in the chapter, uh, Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And as they did that, as instead of just thinking about their own resources, because they were so overwhelmed, it, it was futile to even think of that, they turned to the Lord. They asked the Lord. And as they sought him, God brings a revelation. He brings a revelation through a prophet, prophet that they're going to have a victory. And then they do this crazy thing, which, which makes no sense for a battle. They send out the worshipers before the soldiers, and they go out and they worship, and the soldiers behind them, and then God works on their behalf because they ask God. Listen, this morning, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're going through or will go through, but I know if you're anything like me, you're going to experience a time and place where you just don't know what to do. You don't have the resources. You don't have the capacity. Despite all of your experience or lack of it, and James says, let your first recourse, let your natural thing, go to the one who created this universe, put it all together, holds it together, ask God, and know that as you do that, keep on asking, and keep on asking, why? Because you can be absolutely sure that he is a God who is generous with his wisdom to all. He won't scold you, and it will be given to you. Bring yourself to pray and to continually seek him, asking him for wisdom. Live a life that's pointed in that direction. But even as you mess up, know that God is with you and he, he wants to give you what's best. And then pay attention to see how God answers your prayer. It may come through scripture as you're reading God's word. It may come through a friend who gives you a piece of advice that you know is from God, as God has used that person to impart something to you. It may come through a circumstance that just opens up now. It may come through, through a, 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 
a prophetic word of some sort that somebody comes to you and says, hey, I feel God's spoken this into, into your life. And pay attention and watch God move. Remove all doubt of God's goodness. Cast aside any thought that it needs to be about your performance. Ask God, James says. Ask him in faith. I'm going to ask you this morning to just bow your heads. And we're going to give ourselves a moment to do that. And then we'll close in a song of worship. But I just want to give you the opportunity right now where you're at. What is that situation? What is that place where you need God's wisdom? I want to encourage you right now. Bring it before the Lord. With boldness and faith, take it to him. God, I thank you that you tell us in your word and you give us these outlandish promises, Lord, that if it weren't you, we would, we would just have no confidence in them. But God, they do come from you. And so this morning, I'm asking for a release of your Holy Spirit into people's lives to deposit faith in our hearts, Lord, to trust you and believe you for the wisdom that you want to give us. In Jesus' name.